0: We are, we are in Matthew, so you can turn to Matthew 9. We're actually going to finish up that chapter tonight. <clears throat> if you recall that uh, Matthew chapters 8 and 9 has had three sections of three miracles each as we've been working through these. So there's been three miracles, and then there's been a little invitation to discipleship, uh, kind of a calling to follow. And then there's been three more miracles, an invitation to step- discipleship, and then three more miracles and a final call. We are in the last section of those three, three sections. And rather than doing um, each of the, the final two miracles, of these nine, uh, we're going to take them together tonight, as well as the invitation that comes at the end of it. So we're going to be in Chapter 9, um, verses 27 to 38 tonight. But um, we are, we're going to run up here to the close of here Chapter 9, which will transition us into um, the next section. Remember what we said that there Matthew's got these five sections, there's a narrative, there's five narratives, each narrative is followed by discourse, and we're just about to head into the second discourse, which is chapter 10. So we have uh, Matthew 9, 27 through 38, I've got some people reading it, so let's, let's hear God's word. Pharisees said, uh, he casts out demons by like the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers Thank you. So we've read the passage. We're going to look at these two uh, miracle stories and answer the question, why these two, as he closes out this section. And then secondly, we're going to look at this call that Jesus makes that um, Pastor Mike just read and consider um, what it's supposed to speak to us in terms of a calling on us. So the first story, um, we have two blind men here in verse uh, 27. Um, There's a similar story later in Matthew, but these are separate. You can actually look. There's a several distinct differences between the stories. Um, but you have these two blind men, and uh, we have them here in verse 27, following Jesus um, and crying crying out to him to have mercy. Um, interesting that they're crying out to him, um, and Jesus doesn't appear to be responding to them. Verse 28, because it says apparently Jesus is walking somewhere, and then Jesus enters into a house, probably went in and sat down, they followed in, um, a little different culture than we have today where everybody just shows up, but um, the, it's wide open. So they just followed Jesus right in and continued to um, cry out to Jesus to have uh, mercy on them as they follow him. And um, what's neat about them is they're, they're seeking him out. They're really pursuing him um, and, and, and following. And even when he didn't respond at first and keeps walking, they continued to follow him. And... Um, Jesus here in this section, this little brief part here, basically addresses their faith very directly. He says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Um, the question there is, are, are you really a follower? Are you just here because you want to see, or is there something more? Do you, do you understand what I can do and maybe the authority I have to do this? Do you, do you really believe me? Will you really trust me? And I love it. It's, it's so simple. What do they say? They say, Yes, Lord. Isn't that cool? And just, Yes, Lord. And it's over. This miracle is done. He touched their eyes and says, Be done according to faith. And they were opened. Um, very, very, it's almost so brief here. It's like this huge event happens. And it's just, Do you believe me? I do. Yeah. And they say, Yeah, we do. And their, their eyes are opened. Um, the response is, Yes, Lord. Uh, I just need to comment briefly on this little statement. Jesus sternly warns them. To tell nobody—it seems kind of strange. Um, there's actually about five places in um, in Matthew where he says this. Um, this uh, and there's a—I'm not sure altogether what this is about. Um, possibly Jesus is just trying to um, keep under the radar a little bit. Um, he's got three years to accomplish something, and, and and crowds gather quickly, and Jesus needs the time, and so he's just trying to still the, the wave of, of a tech, you know, being driven eventually to Jerusalem and to pursue um, what his passion, what he came there to do. Um, or it also might be because, um, as we saw in the beginning of Matthew, there was such a prevalent understanding that the Messianic king was going to come in this great way. And Jesus is trying to show he comes as a servant to be a sacrifice. And so he uses the miracles to show his authority but he doesn't want everybody to get the idea that I'm going to come and change everything here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take over. And so he keeps saying, keep it quiet, keep it quiet. Of course, nobody listens, um, and they do it, do it anyways. Um, interesting enough, though, there will be a point when this will all shift and turn, and Jesus will make it very, very public. So when he feeds 5,000 people, there's nothing quiet about that. Um, and it's interesting, at that point that we actually see the crowds begin to leave after that's over too. There's, it really rapidly moves into a place where the people begin to leave him, and he moves into um, his final stages here. But he tells them, and the word sternly is actually, it's a very really strong word. It's like it's like he's taking it. It's almost like it's a very, very strong word for don't say anything, and they disobey. And they spread his fame, it says, through the whole um, district. So again, like the other miracles that we've seen here in this uh, chapter 9 and chapter 8, Jesus, Jesus demonstrates his authority to do as he chooses. He, he can heal the blind. And that his kingdom, as he dresses their faith and their belief and what do they trust in, the kingdom is about transformed lives. He wants to see people transformed in the kingdom so they can do um, the same. Story number 2, verse 32. Um, here we have, um, as they were going away... Um, it's Apparently the, the blind men, maybe, perhaps, um, they, somebody else comes in and they actually bring a man with them. The, the blind men uh, pursue Jesus and are following him. Um, this, this man is brought to him. He's demon-oppressed here, and he was mute, which would, would have to often, the, often happen. The, the demons would not allow the person to speak. Um, and so this man is mute, and he's demon-oppressed here, it says. Um, and here we don't get any, any interaction at all. With Jesus, there's, there's, um, we, we're not told what Jesus said. We're not told if he said anything to to the man. Not, to, we're not even told that he speaks to the demons. Um, it just says here, a demon- oppressed man who was mute was brought to him, and when the demon had been cast out, the mute spoke. It just, it just goes right through this miracle very, very quickly. As Jesus once again, which he had done earlier in this chapter, um, demonstrates his authority over um, even the supernatural and, and the, the enemies of the kingdom. Um, but this man is brought, he doesn't come on his own, um, and although we don't see much about the miracle, what we do have here is we have an increased um, discussion about people's response to it. So in the first, uh, the first story here, this eighth one out of the nine, we actually start seeing that there's a response. These men go out and they say yes to him, There's his a response of yes, and they go out and begin to speak and then in this story, we have this, this, this uh, miracle, but then we get this discussion about what happened after that happened. It says the crowds were marveling, and they're saying never was anything like this seen in Israel. Um, and so we have the crowd's response, which is marveling, and, and like today, people are uh, marvel at many things, right? Um, and we have the crowd here responding in marvel. And then verse 34, we have the Pharisees who also respond and they actually, um, they, they oppose and resist, but it goes beyond that. They actually attribute it to the enemy's work here. Um, so a very, very strong statement um, set against him. So we have these two miracles, the blind men, and their response is yes. We have this, this man comes in who's demon-oppressed. He's, uh, he's immediately uh, freed, and he begins to speak. And we have the crowds who marvel, and we have the Pharisees who oppose and resist and come against it. Um, Here. By the way, the crowds that marvel, um, we're not given the idea that they necessarily believe like the blind men did. Um, We'll discover, we discover all over the book of Matthew that over and over again the crowds followed for what they would get. But when Jesus began to raise the bar and said, This is what it looks like to follow me, they quickly would leave, quickly leave. And so these guys, the crowd here I see is a little bit like um, the seed that falls on the rocky ground. tends to spring up, but it doesn't last. It's gone very, very quickly, and that is what's going to happen here. So we've actually had um, two miracle stories, but a greater emphasis here on some of the responses, and our three responses are to say yes to it and to receive it, um, to kind of take the benefit of it, but not really enter into what it's about, which we can often do, or to resist it or even accuse and oppose um, his kingdom. So before uh, before moving on, I want to answer the question, why, why does this end with these miracles? Is there, Matthew's been very, very particular about why he does things. And so he's got these three sets of three miracles that he's moved through, and he closes with these. Why that? Well, the answer is in verse 35 um, down below. It says, Jesus went out throughout all the cities, and he went out to the villages. He taught in their synagogues. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He healed every disease and every affliction. A very, very great summary statement. He wraps up by saying, Jesus continued to go out. And he went out and he preached the kingdom and he healed all these diseases and did all these different things. And that goes right back to a number of other places um, in the scriptures, which let us know why Matthew put this in here. Um, Later on in Matthew 11, John the Baptist begins to wonder about Jesus. Is he really the one he says he is? Remember what Jesus tells him? It's in chapter 11, verse 5. Jesus says this. Tell him this. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to him. He says this is what the Messiah said he'd come to do. Guess what's happening? Those exact things are happening, which is how this passage actually closes as well. You can go back to Isaiah chapter 61. Remember Jesus reading the scripture earlier in his, uh, in his ministry, and he reads out of Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of God, the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And then Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. And this is just one place of several that it says this, talking about the Messiah. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams break forth in the desert. What Matthew wants us to see is that in the Old Testament, the promise of the Messiah were laid out. This is what it's going to look like. And we get here these, these series of stories where Matthew's already said Jesus is the Messiah. He's not only the Messiah, but he has all the authority of the Messiah. He's shown authority over all sorts of things, including death and sin itself. And then he summarized it by saying he's going out and doing the very things you read about in the Old Testament, the very things the Messiah said. Interesting enough, um, in chapter 10 and on, Jesus is going to turn around, and he's gonna, we're going to talk about this in a moment, he's going to send the disciples out, and their summary will be exactly the same thing. They're going to go do exactly the same thing Jesus does. And at the very end of Matthew, Jesus is going to say to go out, and guess what? That goes to us, and actually shows up in Acts first, he's going to send them out, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to do exactly the same thing, and he instructs us, and we go out and do the same thing. This is a whole picture that Matthew has been moving. Jesus is Messiah. He has all this authority, and now he's transitioning to to pressing us out, saying this is what I've done. This is who I am, and now it's time to move this to the disciples and eventually to us, and he's going to press them out, the whole rest ending point of sending us out. So we're going to move from our title on this, Jesus Goes Out to, to Jesus Sends. And he sends us to go do the very things in the kingdom that he himself um, came to do. So Jesus goes out and he does all these things. And in chapter 10, beginning next week, we're going to see that he's going to send the disciples out to do exactly the same thing, and it acts as well. So the miracles are primarily to demonstrate his authority, and he gives his disciples that authority, and then he will give us, as he has already done, all authority as well. So as I said, Matthew is trying to get us to see that this this story has been going along, and we are part of that story. We're going to be brought in and made part of that um, larger story. So at this point, when we get through the end of verse 34, uh, Matthew leads us into a transition. As I said, each of the three miracles ends with a kind of a call to follow, a call to discipleship, and that's what we get here in verses 35, um, 36, actually, through 38. And there's a transition that happens right at this point in the gospel, as I said, where Jesus is demonstrating himself to where now he's going to send, and he's going to uh, get people ready to go out and carry on his work. Um, and because we're sent, and because the disciples are going to be sent, Jesus just doesn't want to send them out and have it all end in a disaster. He wants to prepare them, so he's prepared them by demonstrating for them. And now in chapter 10, he's actually going to give them. Um, instruction about what to expect, which is why we're starting to hear about people's response because they're going to go out ready, right? And they're going to get lots of different responses to the kingdom just as Jesus does. And he wants to get them um, prepared um, for their role as, as they go out and to see how people will respond. I just want to step back for a moment because I just I like this kind of stuff. I don't know if this is of interest to you or not, but I like getting the big picture. We did that last week a little bit, but I want to see a bigger picture. And I'm not sure you'll be able to read that, but I'll walk us through it. In verses, chapters 1 through 4, we've discovered that the, the Messiah is here, and Jesus is exactly who he said he's going to be. He is the Messiah that the Old Testament pointed to. And his kingdom is actually here. Jesus says, it's right here, it's in your midst. And then in 5 through 7, we, looked, we spent months on that. This is what living in the kingdom looks like. Um, and it's, it's great to talk about it, right? But then you've got to go do it. So what does Jesus do? In verses chapters 8 and 9, Jesus goes out, and he demonstrates what it looks like. He does exactly what it's all about. He does it himself, and they get to go along with him and watch it. And each, as he goes through that, he keeps saying to them, follow me, follow me, you're going to do the same. Um, chapter 10, which we'll get to next week, is Jesus then going to send them, as he's prepared them, as he's gone out, now he's going to transfer it over to them, and he's going to send them out. Um, interesting enough, in chapter 10, he's going to say, this is what will happen when you go. Don't be surprised, this is what will happen. And then when we get to chapter 11 and 12, he's actually going to, in the narrative section, we're going to see people responding to the kingdom. It's all about responses. And actually, for every three, there's two negative responses and a positive one Um, over and over again. People oppose, oppose, somebody receives, somebody grabs onto it. And then when we get to the parables, you know what the parables are about? Responses to the kingdom. Here's the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom is like. This is how people respond to it. So Matthew, is this whole book is moving towards that. And then we close out that section, and it's all going to be about Jesus preparing to give his life um, for us and redemption, what that's about, the good news. And then he's going to send us out um, as well. So Matthew's developed this inauguration of the kingdom, its nature, and how the world will respond. And ultimately, we should see that the narrative invites us to participate in it as well. So this invitation we get here in verse 36, 37, 38 is an invitation to us to respond. And then as we look at it, we'll see how other people respond as well. So as he moves from demonstration, demonstrating the kingdom to actually sending us out, we have this key linking passage, verses 36 through 38. Um, and it's the link between Jesus going out and Jesus sending us out. And what he wants to do is he wants to let us know how to go out. Um, this, this passage, I've talked about this one multiple times. I love it, so we're, I'll probably repeat myself. But it's, it's not just going out, but Jesus wants them to be prepared for how to go out because the way we interact in the kingdom makes a difference. And so this uh, this uh, little transitional um, discourse here before chapter 10, um, verses 36 through 38, is speaking to how to go out. So let me read it again. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them for they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. I'm sure they thought, yeah, we'll do that. But they were actually the, the laborers, right? And it's like Jesus is going to say, now you're going to go. Um, by the way, has anybody been like in part like a, a group like, training to go out and, like, share, like, evangelism explosion or something, and then suddenly you had to go actually do it. Anybody done that? It's terrifying, right? It's terrifying. Uh, I remember a bunch of us got together at, at school, when I was in college, and we spent all these weeks together preparing to go out, and then we all drove down to um, Southern Illinois University and just went in the dorm. We just started knocking on doors, and um, I remember I was shocked at first because it was co-ed dorms, and I was, I, the first door that I opened, there was these girls in the dorm room, and I was like, It was just shocking. I was just, I didn't know what to do, but we were terrified. And um, there were some good responses and there were some poor responses. But um, it's terrifying. And I like to think the disciples probably felt the same way. Um, They've been watching all this. Now Jesus is going to go, 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 going to go do it as well. But he wants them to go with a, in the right way. And here in this passage, we're getting, as he invites them to join in his mission, the three things he wants them to have is the heart of Jesus The eyes of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. The eyes, the heart, the eyes, and the feet of Jesus. Real simply, the heart of Jesus' compassion. It says here, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. That means um, that his heart broke when he looked out. Um, He was stirred up and moved towards them um, when he looked out. Um, We can, depending on what we're like, we can tend to be people that are all about truth without compassion, right? or very compassionate without much truth, Jesus gets both right. But interesting, in all of his encounters, except with the Pharisees, compassion always comes first. Um, The truth gets led by compassion. And so when Jesus looks out and he sees people that are actually going to resist him and come against him, he looks out and and he knows that they're just grabbing him for what they can get. He looks out and he has compassion for them. Um, We will often look out at... The world and we get frustrated we get angry we can feel antagonistic um it can be like it's like why do we have to deal with this kind of thing you know it's those kinds of responses um rejection i don't like what goes on um rather than compassion um jesus's heart when he looks at the crowds his heart breaks for them that's his first response it's pretty incredible and Jesus wants us to go and disciples to go with exactly the same thing. As he sends me, do I go out with compassion? Or do I often go into other people's lives with a sense of judgment or irritation at times or antagonistically. Um, Colossians 3.12 says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Um, we don't touch people's lives with compassion, they probably are not going to listen for good reason. And Jesus says oh, he has compassion when he looks out. Second of all, we need, we need to have the eyes of Jesus. His compassionate heart comes because of what he sees when he looks out. Um, he doesn't see all the things that they would do towards him or all the things that they're not getting right or all the things that he wishes they would just change. Right? He looks out and he sees what's going on in their life. It says here he looked out, and he says his compassionate because when he looked at them, he saw people that, her, that were harassed and people that were helpless and people that were like sheep without a shepherd. To be harassed is to be beaten down or weighed down with life, um, knocked down by the world. And we look at it and go, gosh, it just creates grief for me. And Jesus looks out and he goes, they're encountering grief in their life. The world has knocked them down. And even those who look like everything's got together, Jesus knows what's really going on. And there is a burden and a pressure there that he sees. So he says they're harassed, and it breaks his heart. He says that they were helpless. The word helpless is like the drowning man who's grabbed everything he can and nothing is he can't get anything. And it's, it's at the very end of the rope, just grasping. If, you, if you're around non-believers, there's people that are helpless. Um, and some of them cover it really well. Some of them don't, and, um, and they're in distress. And Jesus doesn't look out and goes, well, that's your own fault because they did this, and they did this, and they did this, which all may be true. Um, or, you know, well, that's how it's going to go. <laughs> um, and I've thought those things before. And Jesus looks out, and he says, they're helpless, and his heart breaks over it. And then it says, you're like sheep without a shepherd. You're aimless. Um, Remember in the garden, one of the first things that God gave Adam and Eve, he says he created them for relationship, and he created them for what was the other one? Purpose. And he looks out, even people that are doing all sorts of things, Jesus looks out and says they're people without purpose because they're not part of this bigger picture. They don't see it anymore. And it breaks his heart because they're pouring their life into something that lacks eternity in it. So he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus looks out, and he sees a broken world. That's where lament comes in for us lamenting over the brokenness in our world and jesus hearts breaks over and because he sees that he has compassion and then the third thing is to have the feet of jesus um he looks he has compassion his heart is breaking he sees what's going on inside and so he retreats to his study upstairs and hides and prepares a sermon now he doesn't do that um he, he just gets around his own group that makes him feel comfortable and just doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't do it. He's going to send the disciples out two by two and they're going to be terri- terrified. And Jesus goes out in the midst of all things. He moves out. He just moves into his world. Um, we, we talk, in the, actually, the whole next several weeks, it's all about our fourth part of our liturgy, which is what? Sending. We, we don't leave here. We get sent. Um, this is just a, a brief, way way station for God to reform our hearts a little bit and reshape us so that we can always go and believers are not designed to be apart from the world. We're designed to go out into it and Jesus does that. So he goes out to them over and over and over again even when they take advantage of him, even when they oppose him even when they completely miss it and even when they begin to betray him, and even when those closest to him do all those things Jesus' feet takes Him into it rather than Away. So Jesus looks out; and he has his heart of compassion. He sees these things. He goes out, and then nobody says here, "You guys go." Um, he says, "Pray that God would bring people would be like that." And by the way, the first call is to you, the disciples, and the first call for that comes to us as well. Will you join me in that? Will you be those kinds of people? And this is a turning point in the entire text of Matthew here. Um, Will we embrace a heart of compassion? Will we choose to look at the world through his eyes or or instead of our own grid of how we view everything? And will we do the work of being reconcilers no matter what the cost um, to us? And from here on out, Jesus is going to be calling them to that over and over again. And at the very end of it, he's going to do what? The ultimate act of compassion and love and mercy he's going to give his life um, by himself, uh, abandoned, and then he's going to keep pressing in and keep calling them to do it. And it's amazing in Acts, isn't it? It just explodes. It just explodes um, because they got his heart and his eyes, and Jesus had done that work, and the Holy Spirit takes it and does this incredible, incredible work. Janice, you guys can come back up here. Um, the reason we should be able to have see the world that way, the reason we should be able to have compassion the reason we should have feet that are ready to go um, is because we were those people, right? Um, And if we forget that, we forget so much. Um, And whether um, we came to Christ later in life or whether I was a little kid like me, we were those same people. Um, Jesus looked at me and his heart broke. Um, And like Adam who was standing in his sin before God naked, um, Jesus steps in and he covers him. And he has compassion and mercy. And in our sin, he ultimately, as we celebrate around this table, he died for us. Um, And it says in scriptures that while we were enemies, he did that for us. And that's the pattern. So it's like, how could I not be like that? If I really get this table, how could I not be like that as he is? Bill, I'm going to have you read your passage from Isaiah, and then I'm going to pray. So go ahead and read. And Bill's going to read from Isaiah 53, and then um, I'll pray over the bread and the cup here tonight. These are two excerpts from Isaiah 53. One about our condition, and the other focuses on the Lord. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. If you're visiting, as after I pray and we sing, you are welcome to come to the table. If you know the Lord, it's behind me and table there, and um, and remember his good work in us. Remember his compassion and his mercy that he poured on, on us. Let me pray for the bread and cup, and then let's use our voices and sing, and, um, and let's gather around the table. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for compassion and mercy for pursuing us, for receiving for going to the point of death on the cross on our behalf. And so as we gather and sing, Lord, may you be lifted up high. May you be honored and glorified in all that we do. Thank you for the simple bread and the cup, just remembrances of of your life given for us, and we give you thanks. Amen. Amen.